This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. We have to open our hearts, and we have to embrace being uncomfortable. The term INFJ might mean little to most people, but to anyone who identifies with this personality type, these four letters represent self-discovery, self-acceptance, and a radical new understanding of what it means to be introverted, highly sensitive, and empathetic. But although ever-growing numbers of INFJs are waking up to the power of our intuitive gifts, we continue to struggle mentally, emotionally, and spiritually in a culture that does not value intuition. Lauren Zapala explores the roadblocks that are still holding many INFJs back and tackles the most important questions for INFJs today. How can we find our purpose? Where and why do we give away our power? And how can we use our unique gifts and innate passion in order to create a better world? Only by moving beyond limiting mindsets and beliefs can INFJs move forward to fulfill our purpose as the healers of the world and then reclaim our power and step into the role of the leaders we were always meant to be. Valeria Tejas interviews Lauren Zapala, the author of The INFJ Revolution, Reclaim Your Power, Live Your Purpose, Heal the World. Lauren Zapala is the author of the INFJ writer, Firefly Magic, Heart-Powered Marketing for Highly Sensitive Writers, and the INFJ Revolution, as well as the West Coast Trilogy, an autobiographical fiction series. She is also a writing coach for writers of the INFJ and INFP personality type, and blogs about writing, creativity, and personality theory. Meet Lauren at laurenzapala.com. Here is the interview with Lauren Zapala. In your own words, who is Lauren Zapala? Well, I'm a writer and a writing coach. I'm the author of The INFJ Writer and The INFJ Revolution. And I specialize in working with intuitive people, introverted people who are struggling with their creativity and struggling with their writing. That sounds wonderful to me. And also sounds like you have found your purpose, your gifts. And I guess that would be my second official question. How did you find your purpose, Lauren? Oh, my goodness. Well, I didn't intentionally set out to find it. I just went through my own struggles. I always wanted to be a writer. I knew I wanted to be a writer, but I couldn't write. And I took creative writing classes in college. I had a college professor who told me I wasn't very good at writing. I should find something else to do. I was completely crushed, but I kept coming back to it year after year. I would write a little bit, 
crumple it up, feel so much shame about what a bad writer I was. And I finally found a silent writing program. And that was where I wrote my first book. I showed up once a week. I wrote for one hour silently. I didn't show anyone. I was too embarrassed. But I showed up every week for two years and I finished my memoir. And that's how I knew, okay, I can do this. I can be a writer. And then I started my own writing group. And the people who showed up that group, they had the same struggles I did. They so badly wanted to write, but they felt so many stumbling blocks in their way and so much shame around the fact that they had those stumbling blocks. And that's when I started my blog. And it just unfolded from there. It kept unfolding and it kept unfolding. Yeah, I'm glad you set yourself up for that exploration and journey of knowing yourself and helping others from there. It's beautiful. Thank you, Lauren. Another question I often ask is, how do we know when we are finally living our purpose? Well, I don't know that we ever know for sure. I mean, no one's going to show up at your door or send <laughs> right. you the letter that says, hey, you're doing Certification. it. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. You made it. Uh, I think <laughs> the best way yeah. you're going to know is that you feel deeply satisfied with your life. Mm, yeah. That doesn't mean that you feel happy all the time. You still might have moments of anxiety or times that are tough or uncomfortable periods, but overall, you feel deeply satisfied with what you're doing. You feel a sense of peace, even throughout the anxiety or the uncomfortable moments. That's how I think that we know we're living our purpose. What do you want from life at this time? Mm. Right now, I want more time. Um, I actually, I have a six-year-old son. I work from home. You know, with COVID, my son's at home doing school. So what I really want is more time. That's what I'm always looking for is more time. It's a great challenge, though, because it really pushes me to be intentional about what I consume on the internet and the relationships I keep in my life and how I spend every day because I want more time to be creative. I want more time to work on my books and my writing. Just by saying that I want more time, it just implies that we don't have. I'm not sure if this is um, something that I'm working on too. I'm trying to change and shift this idea of coming from this abundant place that I, I have time or I have what I need. But then I still don't know where to go from that, <laughs> how to find the solution for that idea of having no time. Well, it's it's interesting that you said I want to come from a place of abundance yeah. because I think the key is actually putting in boundaries. Mm. You know, when we want to have enough time, we have to be the ones that step up and say no right. to a lot of things. And that's hard. And that's True. especially hard if you're a sensitive person, if you're a caretaking kind of person, you have a lot of people in your life who depend on you. But the more you say no, the more you say no to relationships that don't serve you any longer, distractions on YouTube that you don't really need to see, you know, yeah. um, the more you say no to things that don't deeply nourish you and fulfill you, the more time and abundance mm. you will have. So it's weird. You have to put True. that limit in to get to a place where you are unlimited. How do we learn to, to love ourselves and others at the same time? Because I really struggle with the idea of being kind. I really don't embrace the, the idea of not being kind. So by saying no, it always comes to me as unkind. So I'm wondering, yeah, how do we close that gap? How do we come to a, a deeper understanding that it's okay to say no? Well, I will say, and I'm a person who struggles with boundaries too, so I totally get it. 
Um, people who struggle with boundaries or who have poor boundaries usually feel that saying no is an unkind act yeah. because they only say no when they've been pushed so far mm. that they're doing a, a very strong pushback, right? Right, right? It's like they're so burned out, they're so overworked, and the last straw, you know, someone comes <laughs> yeah. and says, I need you to do this, and they blow up. Right. And say, I can't possibly do this. I can't believe you would ask me that. Right. So then it does turn into an unkind act because we've overworked ourselves and we've taken too much on to the point where now we are blowing up at people. Wow. If we say no as a part of our daily self-love practice, it actually is being kind to ourselves and we're being kind to others because a lot of times people need to be told no. A lot of times it serves someone better if they don't become codependent with you, if they figure it out on their own, if they go to the concert with someone who actually wants to be there and who didn't say yes because out of guilt, it's actually true. more respectful to the person and it serves them better to say no when you need to. So it is a practice, right? Something that we have to be comfortable with every day. Oh, oh it's definitely a practice and you may never be totally comfortable with it and that's right. okay. Oh, I love that too, because I do love the idea of acceptance. And this is something that I do practice all the time. Even saying no in an unkind way, I accept that too, being mm -hmm. the only way I know how to express myself at that moment, coming from that place that you just spoke of, of having too much of it, just not saying no enough times to the point where I can't really say no in a kind way. So I do accept that too, but... Yeah, I'm very attracted to the idea of love, 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 kindness, um, gentleness. So this is a practice that I needed to um, engage more, <laughs> for sure, in uh, these days. So my um, next question to you, let me see. Yeah, power. I also spoke to you off record. What is power to you and how did you find yours? Mm, this is such a great question uh, because I think in our society, we see power as a negative force. Yeah. We look at current politics, we look at current affairs, and we see a lot of people trying to dominate other people. Yeah. We see a lot of oppression and injustice and deception. Right. And so that's what we equate power with is that power equals corruption. Right. True power, the definition of power, it's just electricity, It's life force, it's fuel, it's energy. Your power is your battery life. So every morning when you wake up, you have a little store of personal power and you spend that power, you spend that energy. And if you're not aware of it, if you're not aware of your own power, if you're not engaging in certain practices that are helping you nourish yourself and take care of yourself, you have a power leak, you have an energy leak and you're gonna end up giving your power away to a lot of other people, which means you let other people have your electricity and they don't know what to do with your electricity. They might want to misuse it. They might just waste it. They can't spend it in the way that you would spend it. So it's very, um, it's a very good idea to really be aware of how you're spending your energy and what's coming into your energy field as a weakening force and as a strengthening force. Because anything that's coming in as a weakening force, which would be corruption, lies, feeling bad about yourself, shame, guilt, um, anger can be a weakening force, you know, junk food. That stuff is all detracting from your personal power. It's draining your personal power minute by minute. In case, I love that uh, because I do 
belief, which I don't think is a belief system anymore. It's a knowing that everything is energy, which to me, I call it spiritual. Everything is spiritual. There's nothing mm-hmm. that's not spiritual. So but that is another interesting practice, which means we need to pay attention. Would you say, you speak in the, in the book about pay attention to the body. So that would be the best way to practice that, the way we feel. Definitely. And I will say um, intuitive people, especially, and women tend to kind of escape up into their mind a lot, especially yeah. if there's a lot of anxiety. Right. When someone is anxious, the mind runs very quickly, very rapidly, and it tends to go into thought loops that repeat. And so our energy is drawn up out of the body into the head. Mm. And a lot of times we will override the signals from the body. So someone might have a stomach ache and just ignore it or a headache and push past it until they reach the point where they're completely burned out or they're starting to get ill. They're experiencing physical symptoms of sickness because they are too stressed. They're in a relationship they shouldn't be in. They're in a job they shouldn't be in. They're in some sort of life situation and their body is screaming at them, please stop. This is a no for you. This is a a firm no. Mm. But they're up in the head. They're up in the mind saying, well, this job pays really well, or, well, I'm never going to find another partner, Mm. you know, sort of feeding themselves those scarcity stories. That's very, very common for intuitives and for women. I do have a situation that's happening. Just recently, we moved from one state to another, and I have been around more people, family members and all. And I noticed that every time I'm around specific people, I have a headache. Mm-hmm. Every time. And then it became a, a pattern now, a habit, something that often happens. I'm wondering if I'm making this up, that I'm just because now I associate my headache to them. Every time I meet them, I have a headache. Or something else is happening deeper. Oh, I would bet 100% you're not making that up. Right. Whenever we get a no, whenever our body or an, and our energy system is telling us something is a no for you, we will experience contraction. We will experience tightness in the chest, tightness in the stomach and the gut, constriction in the throat, headaches, which is a constriction of blood vessels in the head, wow. a shrinking back. And you'll probably notice now if you are talking to those people one-on-one, you might even unconsciously be turning your body away or Mm -hmm. angling yourself away because you you don't want the full force of their energy on you. Your body knows, oh, we don't like that. So whenever you feel yourself shrinking, constricting, pulling away, that's a no for you. And you don't need to know why. You don't need to have a justification. Your body already knows. What would you suggest us to do when we are going through this and they are family members, people that we can't really keep away in in a way. <laughs> so this is where boundaries come up again. And I know you can't cut out every family member. You right. can't cut out every <laughs> <Yeah>. relationship, <laughs> yeah. um, but you can really limit your time. Mm. And I, I do, inc- this is maybe kind of controversial, but I do encourage people to tell white lies, <laughs> you know, say, Hey, <laughs> heads up. My workload is going to be really busy for the next few months. I may not be able to see you very often, or I just want to let you know, you know, i it's really demanding with my child's school schedule. So I won't be able to answer the phone every time you call, you know, but putting those little boundaries in place and and made, letting the person mm-hmm. know, hey, it's not personal. It's something else, some sort of excuse. <laughs> yeah. But I won't be able to answer every text, talk to you on the phone all the time, see you once a week, yeah. and really start pulling back and limiting. 
And I also noticed that the headache is much stronger when it's inside of a place, like a, a small space. If I'm outdoors, then it's better. There's something that happens. I'm not sure because of nature. I'm around nature and I love nature. But one thing that I learned to do, Laurie, it's not to blame others for the way I feel. So that's very important to me and that I take responsibility. So maybe that's why boundaries are very important, if I can, without lying, because I don't believe in lying either. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, this idea of saying no to them anyway. Wow. Okay, that's a practice <laughs> for life might be for me. And thank you for your advice. I do have a question about if it is the case, the way I believe in that I take responsibility, isn't it perhaps something that I'm doing to myself? to maybe misinterpreting their energy or not being in a space of love present enough to hold my energy and my power, as you call it? Well, you can still be in a space of love and accept them and also not want to be around them. Right. So it's it's right. kind of like Niagara Falls. Niagara Falls is a huge waterfall. It's really forceful. It's really loud. It's nothing you're doing. You're not making the waterfall loud. You're not influencing the waterfall to be more loud or more quiet. It just is. Niagara Falls is what it is. You can choose to be around it or not. It's not a judgment on Niagara Falls. Mm, You can just say, you know, I love you, Niagara Falls. I'm so, (laughs) I'm excited that you exist in the world. I know you have a part to play, but you're just a bit overwhelming for me. So I'm going to visit you once a year. And I hope you do well the rest of the year when I'm not around you. <laughs> right. And that is love. Yes, I agree. Mm-hmm. So how did you discover, like, this understanding of power? In the book, you talk about getting power and holding power. So how did that happen for you? When did you shift in perspective? Well, I really shifted when I discovered uh, shamanic studies, and I found a great teacher and author. His name is Jose Stevens. He is wonderful. He has a bunch of books out. You can find him on Amazon, and he's a shaman and a psychotherapist. So he does a lot of personality stuff, and he does a lot of shamanic stuff. And that's where I really found out about power and what power is and how to make a bid for power and how to use your power and hold your power. Um, I never felt at home in organized religion, but I've always been very spiritual. And the world of shamanic studies really felt like a home to me. And so that's where I've sourced a lot of my ideas about power. Talk to me for a moment about intuition and the relationship between or the connection between intuition and loneliness. Oh, that's interesting, the, the connection between intuition and loneliness. Yeah. That's that's something a lot of people don't bring up that right. I talk about in the book. Right, so I'm right. so glad you, yeah. you brought that up. So many intuitive people feel very alienated in our society. They feel like outsiders, misfits. Many, many intuitive people have internalized this notion that there's something wrong with them, that they're flawed in some way or they're they're weird in a very bad way. And that's because we live in a rational society. We live in a society that's made up mostly of non-intuitive people who get their information about the world and navigate their way through the world through non-intuitive channels. So their five senses, what they see, what they hear, you know, what they know. Intuitive people, um, I don't want to say they're the exact opposite, but we are very, very different. 
we get our information in a knowing way that we can't explain and that we can't verbalize to other people. And it can make us feel very isolated because much of the time we know things from, you know, being a small child on, we know things and we try to express that and we're shut down. Right. We're told that we're making things up. There's no way we could know that. Um, a lot of people, if they are raised in strict religious environments, might even be told they're sinful in some way. You know, it's it's a it's a sin or it's dangerous to have this kind of knowing. So we're really outcasted from the time we were very, very young. And so we shut down that intuition, but we still stumble through life feeling broken. And I'm wondering if we can somehow teach um, others around us to be more intuitive just by being more intuitive, by not being afraid to show our intuitive gifts to them. Is that a possibility? Well, I think it is. And I, I will say, too, when I say intuitive people, the vast majority are women, yeah, the vast right. majority. And when I say women, I mean anyone who identifies as a woman. You know, you don't have right. to be a biological woman, True. but anyone who identifies yeah. with being uh, predominantly having feminine energy right. or a feminine presence. Yeah. We are the people who are the most intuitive. And I don't think it's any coincidence that this has gone hand in hand with the suppression and the oppression of the feminine presence throughout history. And I mean, we've seen that with, you know, witch trials and, you know, women being villainized for having second sight, you know, in so many different ways. But we really are the intuitive ones. And that's changing. There's a real shift on the planet right now between the masculine and the feminine. And I think there's a rebalancing happening. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? You know, I think this might be a weird answer, but I think <laughs> the purpose is to play. Mm, yeah. I think it's to play and to experience wonder, curiosity, awe. And I talk to so many people, my clients, my students, and I say, how, how would you feel if I said, the purpose of your life is to play or let's bring more play in your life. And they always sort of dig in their heels and like, whoa, I'm very uncomfortable with that. I was taught that I need to work and I need to work hard and I need to save for retirement and I have this task. And there's so much seriousness around how we approach life. You know, everything is life or death, right? High stakes. And I think that's because we fear death. You know, mm -hmm. death to us is like this horrible, scary thing that's going to happen. So let's get all this, our work done before then. Right. I think life and death are both play and can be seen as play. I do have one more question for you. The warm-up question is freedom. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? Mm. Freedom to me, and again, this might sound counterintuitive, but freedom to me is having the appropriate boundaries in place. Mm that give me what I need and keep me safe. So a lack of freedom is when I'm saying yes to everybody and I'm never saying no. And everyone else gets my time and my energy. Everyone else gets first priority for what I'm doing with my day. That's a total lack of freedom. And that feels very awful. That feels like I don't have anything for myself. I'm resentful. I'm anxious. Total freedom is when I've told all the people no who need to be told no. They've gone off somewhere and found their yes from someone else. <laughs> They're yeah. leaving me alone. <laughs> and I have the space and the time to do what I need to do for myself. So you wrote the book, The INFJ Revolution. Reclaim your power, live your purpose, heal the world. 
what was the inspiration and also the purpose of writing this book? Well, I got into the Myers-Briggs personality system, gosh, probably about 10 years ago, and I found out I was an INFJ. And for the audience members who don't know what that means, it stands for um, introverted, intuitive, feeling, judging. And you don't have to worry about the judging part of it. It doesn't mean you're judgmental. It just means that you're organized, basically. Um, And there's another type, INFP, that's introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiving. So this is a personality label. And Valeria, I know you don't like labels, but we'll just use it, you know, right now. So we all know what we're talking about. INF people are introverted, intuitive and emotionally centered people. And once I found out that this is what I was, that I was an introvert, I was also intuitive and I was emotionally centered. And this is how I approached the world. Everything changed for me. I did as much research as I could. I started my own coaching business, coaching writers who were of the same personality type. And I talked to so many people who were also introverted and intuitive and emotionally centered, and I saw so many patterns. And so I wrote my first book, The INFJ Writer. And then after I put that book out, I got so many emails and messages and letters from around the world from people who said, I read this book. It changed my life. This is me. How do you know me? This is crazy. (laughs) And so then I wrote the second book, The INFJ Revolution. And it's based on all of those letters and calls and emails I got from people around the world. Wow. Your book, it's very clear to me. The messages are so powerful. It has been helping me already (laughs) to understand some aspects of myself that I not ignored or didn't know, but uh, I needed to be reminded of. That's what it is. It's a, it's a reminder. Mm. Highly sensitive people I heard about and empath, are they somehow different or all the same? Well, okay. So the thing is, you can be a highly sensitive person and not be an empath and not be intuitive. And I know people um, in, in real life who are non-intuitive people who are very rational and who are not emotionally censored, centered at all, and who are not introverts, and they are highly sensitive. To be highly sensitive just means your nervous system is more sensitive than most of the population. However, I would say all empaths and all intuitive people are highly sensitive. I've never met an empath who was not highly sensitive, and I've never met an intuitive person who wasn't highly sensitive. So I know you mentioned in the book quite the opposite of intuitives and um, let's say, yeah, INFJ. I have a hard time pronouncing um, abbreviations. (laughs) So um, you talk about narcissism or narcissistic people. Would you say that they are also highly sensitive people? Well, you know, that's a very interesting question because what I found with my classes and my students and my clients, every INFJ I will say, okay, not maybe not every, 99.9% of the INFJs I have met have had narcissistic family dynamics in place as children. They come from narcissistic parents. Yeah. Um, every, just about every INFP I have met has had codependent family enmeshment issues in their family as a child. So I do think there is some overlap. I do believe, and this is just my personal belief, that narcissists started out as intuitive people. It started out as empaths and shut down around some severe trauma. A lot of times it was an alcoholic parent or childhood abuse. 
and then chose the path of the narcissist, whether that's consciously or unconsciously. You said something interesting in your book about empath and narcissist. You say, when empath and narcissist come together, for both of them, it is like looking into a mirror. Each one gazes back at the other, thinking about the choices they've made, fascinated by what they could have become. So that is, um, yeah, well, that's an interesting, I mean, very powerful way of saying that and seeing that. Talk to me for a moment about that passage, Lauren. Well, I will say, I think most of the time, it's the empath who is conscious enough and who's at that level of consciousness to look at the narcissist and say, oh, I see a damaged human being here. I see someone suffering from trauma and I see how they disconnected a long time ago. And I see how I could do that too. Mm. I think it's actually uh, much less common for the narcissist to have that level (laughs) of awareness. However, I do think the narcissist does have it at a subconscious level. I think, I know they keep empaths around because obviously they feed off of people and empaths are, you know, they like to exploit empaths. There's sort of a symbiotic relationship there. But I think also on a subconscious level, It is sort of like Darth Vader looking at Luke Skywalker. They are aware on some level that, oh, I could have chosen the light. I could have gone toward the light and things might have been different from me. And I think that's different for every narcissist. There's a spectrum, you know, and everyone's in a different place on the spectrum. And I do think some narcissists can heal and others are just too far gone. There are so many things that you're speaking in the book that I would love to talk to you about. Not enough time, but let me see if I can get a couple of questions here still. Talk to me about the greatest misconceptions about INFJs and also INPFs. Oh, INFPs, the great I, Right. Um, yeah, I apologize. Uh, well, the thing I will say, the, the first thing that comes to mind is that on the surface, INFJs and INFPs... You know, also, you could just say like introverted intuitives, Mm. emotionally centered people into empaths um, tend to come across as extremely accommodating. And they are very accommodating. We can feel other people's emotions. We're very attuned to micro expressions and the energy coming off of other people. We know when something's wrong. And we're very good at anticipating what other people need from us and want from us and meeting those needs before they're even verbalized, you know, before they're even expressed. We're very good at that. That's like our superpower. And so we do tend to always go with the flow, try to keep harmony within the group. We're very accepting and we're very open in that way. But the side of us that no one sees is that we are also very intense And we can become very angry if we feel like our values have been violated. Um, We can cut someone off entirely if we feel that they have exploited someone who didn't have as much power than them, someone weaker than them. You know, an INFP will be the sweetest, nicest person you've ever met. But if they find out someone's guilty of, say, animal abuse, Mm -hmm. it's war. You know, they will declare (laughs) war right there. (laughs) And so that's the side that that not many people see, but we are very passionate and we can really stick with something, you know, for years and years, like we're a dog with a bone if we think something is right and it needs to be remedied. Yeah, it just resonates so true. I actually cried. That's interesting. Why are you speaking? I was just like holding here. (laughs) Oh, that's a heart opening. 
Yeah, because the, yeah, it kind of re resonates. Yes, so true. I always tell people in my coaching sessions, they say, I'm so sorry, I'm crying. And I yeah. said, that's great. It's a heart <laughs> opening. That's, that's movement. Uh -huh. That's big movement of energy in your heart space. Yeah. And it's a release. So that's great. Thank you, Lauren, <laughs> for your everything, your knowledge, your work, and your presence, your um, yeah, heartfelt presence. And um, one more question. I have those ending questions. But before that, talk to me about avoidance. In your book, you say we have to open our hearts and we have to embrace being uncomfortable. I know you mentioned that earlier, but talk to me for a moment again about not running away from being uncomfortable. Mm, this is a very big pitfall for intuitive people. We tend to use coping mechanisms that are rooted in avoidance. And we've done this since childhood because it was usually the easiest way. I've talked to so many intuitive people who say, you know, I was very aware I didn't fit in. I was very aware that my parents saw me as a problem or I was weird or my parents had addiction issues or were abusive. So I spent a lot of time in my room. That's very common for intuitive people to report. As children, I spent a lot of time in my room. And that became a comfortable place. I went in my room, I shut the door, I had my books, I had my stuffed animals, I had my pretend games, I had my land of imagination, and I stayed there. And we do that as adults. When someone hurts us, when we're anxious, when we're scared, when we're embarrassed or uncomfortable, we retreat. We withdraw into our shell. That is how we emotionally regulate ourselves. And that's okay. That's something that is actually normal for us. We need to do that retreat and withdrawal into the shell for a limited period of time to emotionally regulate. The problems come in when we never come back out of the shell. Mm, true. When we're too anxious and scared about getting hurt again, and we say, I'm just going to stay in the shell. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice in here. It's just like my room when I was a little kid. True. <laughs> so, so that's the, yeah, that's the issue I really always urge intuitive people to focus on is it's okay to be in the shell, but how much time are you spending in the shell? And that doesn't mean you have to pretend to be an extrovert and go to a party every day. Right, right. Because that's never going to happen. It's very normal for introverted, intuitive people to spend a lot of time at home and a lot of time alone, but it shouldn't be all your time at home and all your time alone. So I have a few more questions for you, the ending questions. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Gosh, I don't think so. We've covered so much. I mean, I could talk about these things all day long. So I'm just interested to see what other questions you have. Oh, boy, and I could hear you all day long. Too many questions here, but I'll choose three of them. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Mm, my hardest lesson has been around anger. I had so much anger growing up. And I wasn't even aware how angry I was. And then when I started to do the personal work of excavating all the old baggage and all the old layers, and I found all that anger bubbling up, I didn't want to give it up. Right. <laughs> I, I told myself, well, of course I want to give it up. Who wants to carry around a suitcase full of anger? But the truth was my anger kept me safe. It felt familiar to me. I knew how to do that. It was a mindset I was very comfortable in. So that was the hard lesson for me, was not just giving up the anger, but realizing that I was trying to hold on to it because it felt comfortable and safe to me. 
and that I didn't want to give it up. That was a hard pill to swallow. I heard uh, recently something interesting. Somebody said anger is sometimes our only way to keep abusers away. Mm, I'm so glad you said that because yeah. anger anger always shows us where a boundary is being violated or has been violated. Another question for you, the ending questions. What is another word for healing? I actually would say another word for healing is expressing. Mm -hmm. And that might sound uh, like a bit of an, an enigma, but I think when we express ourselves, when we express our truth, when we express our fears, our connection to another person, that's all part of the healing process. And it really helps move the healing process along. Two more questions. I know I added one more. <laughs> If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything in a different way? Gosh, you know, I probably would work more on my fiction. That's the one thing in my life I want to do more of. And my schedule has just been so tight lately that I haven't had time. But if I, if I knew I was <laughs> going to die in a year or six months, I, I know I would make time. Do you want to talk for a moment about the fiction book you're writing? Or what would that be about? You know, I'm always writing a fiction book. Um, for people who are interested, I have two fiction novels on Amazon. And if you type my name into Amazon, all my books will come up. And there's two, uh, Between the Shadow and Low and West is San Francisco, that are both autobiographical fiction. So they're based on real events about um, my past as a raging alcoholic. I had addiction issues for years. I ended up working for a private detective. I had a experience with a narcissist, all sorts of juicy stuff. Those are both on Amazon. Okay, that's great to know. And I'll have the link to your website too, linked on the podcast profile. So my last question to you, Lauren, is what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? Hmm. Well, I know life is going to end yeah. for me. <laughs> I also know the sun is going to come up tomorrow. Whether or not I'm here, there will be another day. And I know that the most important thing is the people in my life. And that might sound simple, but that has been a, that's also been a tough lesson for me to learn. I was a workaholic for years and years. And so I finally come to the place where I realize, hey, you're only going to have these relationships in this life once. You know, I believe in reincarnation, so I might get another life, but I'm not uh -huh. going to have these exact relationships. Thank you so much, Lauren, for your beautiful wisdom, your powerful, heartfelt presence, the work you do trying to help so many people out there. Thank you. Thank you so much. I loved being here. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Uh, everything's on my website, laurensapala.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-A-P-A-L-A.com. You can also type my name in Amazon or YouTube, and a bunch of books will come up and a bunch of videos and a bunch of material. There's so much there. Wow. Yeah, I'll have the link on the podcast profile. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Lauren. Bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Lauren Zappala and her work, please visit laurenzappala.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.